0: Welcome to Beth Takun and our study of the book of Yehoshua, or Joshua. This week we find ourselves in chapter 6, and in this chapter we read of the plan of the conquest of Jericho, the execution of the plan, and the aftermath. Jericho is the first and archetypal battle Israel fights in the land. The type of open miracle we see here is never repeated in future battles, demonstrating that Israel's success is not dependent on militaristic strategy or numbers, but on God alone. So go ahead and open your Bible, and let's dive in. And I'll be reading from the Tree of Life version today. Joshua 6. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of Bnei Israel; no one going out and no one coming in. Then Adonai said to Joshua, Look, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty warriors. Now you are to march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. So you are to do for six days. Seven Kohanim will carry seven shofarot of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you are to circle the city seven times while the Kohanim blow the shofarot. It will be when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the shofar, Have all the people shout a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, everyone straight ahead. So Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the Kohanim and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven Kohanim carry seven Shafarot of ram's horns before the Ark of Adonai. Then he said to the people, Move forward, march around the city, and let the armed force march ahead of the Ark of Adonai. And it was so. After Joshua had spoken to the people, seven Kohanim carried the seven shofarot of ram's horns before Adonai went forward and blew the shofarot. And the ark of the covenant of Adonai followed them. Also the armed force went before the Kohanim who blew the shofarot. And the rear guard came behind the ark while the shofarot continued to blow. But Joshua ordered the people, saying, You must not shout nor let your voice be heard nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you, shout. Then you will shout. So he had the Ark of Adonai go around the city, circling it once. Then they came into the camp and spent the night there. The next day Joshua rose early in the morning. The Kohanim took up the Ark of Adonai, and the seven Kohanim carrying the seven shofarot of ram's horns, horns marched in front of the Ark of Adonai and blew the shofarot with the armed force marching behind them and the rear guard marching behind the Ark of Adonai, while the Shofarot continued to blow. So the second day they circled the city once and returned to the camp. So they did for six days. Now on the seventh day they rose early at dawn and marched around the city in the same way seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. Then on the seventh time when the Kohanim blew the shofar out, Joshua ordered the people shout for Adonai has given you the city. But the city will be under the ban of destruction, it and all that is in it belong to Adonai. Only Rahab the harlot will live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the scouts that we sent. But you, just keep yourselves from the things under the ban. Otherwise, you would make for yourselves accursed by taking of the things under the ban and so you would make the camp of israel accursed and bring trouble on it all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are holy to adonai and must be into and must go into the treasury of adonai so when the shofar blew the people shouted when the people heard the sound of the shofar the people shouted a loud shout and the wall fell down flat So the people went up into the city, everyone straight ahead, and they captured the city. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, man and woman, young and old, ox, sheep, and donkey with the edge of the sword. Then Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her relatives, and all who belonged to her. All her relatives they brought out and put them outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the city with fire and all that was in it. Only the silver, the gold, and the vessels of bronze and iron did they put into the treasury of the house of Adonai. But Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua spared. She has lived in the midst of Israel to this day because she did, she hid the scouts whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. At that time, Joshua made an oath saying, cursed before Adonai is the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. On his firstborn, he will lay its foundation and on his youngest son, he will set up its gates. So Adonai was with Joshua and his fame was throughout the region. All right, so now I'd like to go through Again, verse by verse, I'm going to cover most of the verses, not all of them, but most of them, and bring out some things that I've that I've uh, uh, learned. Some things that stuck out to me, and hopefully they bless you as they have me. So, Joshua six, verse one. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of Bnei Israel; no one going out and no one coming in. So great was uh, Jericho's fear of Israel that they fortified their defenses. Um, in fact, it's understood that the walls of Jericho were as wide or as as thick as they were tall. Um, and if that, if that's the case, then when the walls came tumbling down, as the song goes, the Israelites would still have been unable to penetrate them, given the, just the mass of, of rock and stone and whatever it was that, that the walls were built out of. Um, but more on that in a moment. But the point is that, that Jericho... Uh, this city of idolatry of uh, depravity uh, was just so very fearful of Israel that they completely shut they shut off uh, shut down. Verse two. Then Adonai said to Joshua, "Look, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty warriors." Before this, Joshua was dealing indirectly. With God through an angel, but at this point, after Joshua demonstrates his obedience, his humble obedience, God speaks directly to him. Here, verse three: Now you are to march. Now you are to march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. So you are to do for six days. Um, something to keep in mind when when reading all these biblical accounts is how each party would have or could have experienced it. Uh, not only was this unusual command to demonstrate something to Jericho, surely, um, but also to the very people who were carrying it out. Jericho, ripe with fear, was likely made more fear- fearful um, for this action they could not have understood. Like It's, it's weird. Like there, There's this people they're terrified of, doing this very strange thing. I'm sure it ramped up their fear, potentially. Uh, Or there may have been some who were standing at the wall taunting the Israelites for just this weird thing they were doing. So there was, how were they experiencing this? And the Israelites, too, who were instructed to do this very unusual thing. They were made, I think, to understand the enormity of the task of conquering a great fortified city by walking around it every day, every day walking around this great big city. And, and to understand that only God could accomplish it. They couldn't possibly do it themselves. Just so we have a sense of scale too, some estimates put the circumference or, or the, the circuit of the march that they, they, they took around the city to be about a mile and a half. Um, there's no consensus. I don't think on it, but let's just say that that's the case. Uh, they probably weren't marching right up against the wall, so this, the circumference of the city may have been much smaller than a mile and a half. May have been only a mile. May have been uh, three quarter of a mile. I don't know. Um, but they would have been marching some a distance outside of it, a mile and a half. And if you consider they had to keep pace with whoever was carrying the ark. It it would have probably taken them about an hour to march around the city. Um, So they were doing that one hour each day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. So that was seven hours of marching on the seventh day. Okay, so just something to keep in mind from a a point of scale and context. Verse 4. Seven Kohanim will carry seven shofarot of rams' horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you are to circle the city seven times while the Kohanim blow the shofarot. Um, there's a lot of sevens here. Uh, throughout this passage, seven, seven, seven. Uh, seven Kohanim, seven shofarot, seven days, seven uh, times around it. Um, each, so each day, you, you, you go around it seven days, and on the seventh day, you do it seven times. So all of these sevens indicating, again, the, the holiness of it, the, the spirituality of it. This is not a typical physical battle that can be understood through any militaristic strategy that Joshua may have. This is completely and utterly in in the realm of God's uh, ability to accomplish. Um, something interesting about the, the shofar, or the shofarote, uh, plural, is that these are typically what were used at the beginning of the Jubilee year. These were not the silver trumpets that uh, Moses had in order to sound a, uh, to blast a warning to the enemies. These were, the shofar blast was solely for for Israel to um, uh, uh, symbolize joy and, and and victory, right? So, so that's that's something very interesting uh, that I think could be could be talked about. Um, these weren't the sounds of warning for Jericho, even though they probably would have taken it as that as well. Um, it may have been a foreign sound to them, but as far as Israel goes, these weren't the silver trumpets. This was a shofar that that were associated with something else besides war and battle. So. Verse five. It will be. When they take a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the shofar, have all the people shout a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat or sink into its place. And the people will go up, everyone straight ahead. The Hebrew here expresses that the wall came down in such a fashion that the ground was flat, right? I mentioned earlier that, you know, we we talk about how the walls came tumbling down. You can picture that it comes tumbling down. You can still see the debris is sitting on top. But if these walls were as thick and tall as uh, scholars believe that they were, even tumbling down they still would have been insurmountable. You had to climb over, get, you know, ropes and <laughs> hoisting things over. So here the Hebrew is indicating that it was flat, that the, that it either sunk into the ground or or in some other way just was not a hindrance to them going straight in to the city. Um, there's also, there's also no consensus on whether or not all of the, the the entirety of the walls came down, or if it was just a portion, since we know that Rahab's house was built into the wall, uh, and if it did come down, then her house would have been, uh, she would have been in jeopardy, uh, if that were the case, and so there's a lot of discussion about that, what that means for us, um, spiritually, I I don't know, I just thought it was something interesting. Verse 6, so Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the Kohanim and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven Kohanim carry seven shofarot of ram's horns before the Ark of Adonai. And verse 7, then he said to the people, move forward, march around the city, and let the armed force march ahead of the Ark of Adonai. Uh, It should be noted that the armed force here is, of course, Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh fulfilling their pledge to take the lead in battle, uh, in Israel's battle, in return for their occupying the land on the other side of the Jordan. Verse 8, and it was so. After Joshua had spoken to the people, seven Kohanim carrying the seven shofarot of ram's horns before Adonai went forward and blew the shofarot, and the Ark of the Covenant of Adonai followed them. Verse 9, also the armed force went before the Kohanim who blew the shofarot, and the rear guard came behind the Ark while the shofarot continued to blow. Verse 10, but Joshua ordered the people saying, you must not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you, shout, then you will shout. This, I think, may have been uh, to keep them from responding to what, what may have also been taunts from people of Jericho over the wall at, at this strange thing that they were doing. Don't respond to them. Don't shout. Don't, don't let anything come out of your mouth uh, for those who are watching. Verse 11, so he had the Ark of Adonai go around the city circling it once. Then they came into the camp and spent the night there. Verse 12, the next day Joshua rose early in the morning. The Kohanim took up the Ark of Adonai. While verses 12 through 14 seem to be a repetition of verses 6 through 11, the difference is that on the second through the seventh days of this battle, Israel was starting from their encampment at Gilgal, not near Jericho, like on the first day. On the first day, they they approached, got everything in order, went around, and then they went back to the camp. So every day, they were starting from Gilgal. So there was that additional marching from their encampment um, to Jericho and then around and back. Verse 13. And the seven Kohanim carrying the seven shofarot of ram's horns marched in front of the Ark of Adonai and blew the shofarot with the armed force marching before them and the rear guard marching behind the Ark of Adonai while the shofarot continued to blow. Verse 14. So the second day they encircled the city once and returned to the camp. That's at Gilgal. So they did for six days. For 15. Now on the seventh day they arose early at dawn and marched around the city in the same way seven times. Only on that day did they march around the city seven times. The language here, um, on the seventh day, means that this was, in fact, the Sabbath. Um, Given that this was a seven-day ordeal uh, and that there would have been a Sabbath in there at some point, the fact that this is when it says on the seventh day indicates to us that this was the Sabbath. that they rose early is, is, is wise and necessary so that they could make the march there and then also the seven circuits around uh, to do all this in, in a day's time. It would have taken about seven hours or so, seven or eight hours. It would have been a while. So that makes sense. Um, what's interesting to note here is that they march around the city a total of 13 times. Uh, six times they do it once and one time they do it seven times. Thirteen, um, for, for this occasion, I think especially, the, the symbolism of the, of the number 13 is, is great. The symbolism of the 12 tribes plus God, who is one, who is Echad, as we'll see toward the, um, actually, in the Elena that I'll get to later. Um, but that, I think, is, is appropriate and, and symbolic, again, of, of the covenant. Of, of Israel and God, but, but that this is all about his doing um, for his people. So I think that that's, that's relevant. Verse 16, Then the seventh time when the Kohanim blew the shofar out, Joshua ordered the people, Shout, for Adonai has given you the city. Uh, verses 16 through 19 are Joshua giving instruction to Israel regarding how they should conduct themselves after the walls fall, um, I would imagine this is necessary because they're about to do something, you know, uh, unusual. And then when it works, uh, I would imagine I'd be completely ecstatic and just uh, can't believe it. Uh, but I would have to have some instruction to remember how to behave. Like, okay, okay, calm down. This is amazing, but let's go ahead and do. There's still uh, uh, certain things to do and not to do. Verse seventeen but the city will be under the ban of destruction. It and all that is in it belong to Adonai. Only Rahab the harlot will live, she and all who are with her in her house, because she hid the scouts who we sent. Rahab the harlot. I spoke of this uh, when Rahab was first mentioned in Joshua, and I think it bears repeating. The, uh, there is a, a a beauty and a mystery to how God how how sin is is dealt with and um, and redeemed from in in this life. Sin is forgiven. Sin can be forgiven, but the consequences of sin remain. Not only for yourself, but for those who who for whom your sin is effects or to whom i forget what the word is there but you get the point consequences remain for me for generations for my children my children's children whatever like there's there's something there that's important here is here is an example of that rahab the harlot she is known her identity is also her sin rahab the harlot and yet she is included here as someone that helps bring about the destruction of evil, her story is included in uh, in the Tanakh, um, and these are things we have to these two things we have to hold in our hands. Whatever it is, our sin is. You know, we think, oh, we're forgiven, and we would rather not be associated with the sin anymore. But God is saying that may not be the case. You may have had a sin that will follow you forever, or will follow you in this life. Uh, you'll, you may be known by it. It may be part of your reputation, your identity. But that should not keep you from following God's path, uh, doing right by his kingdom, uh, because who cares what the, what, the, what the world thinks? Who cares what people think? It's only what God thinks, right? So we need to hold these two in our hand and not be afraid uh, or discouraged when what it is we've done wrong uh, keeps just popping up, right? We're to deal with that. that that's that's our, our lot in life. Um, I think it's encouraging because um, when we think that, that a sin is behind us and done and it comes back and rears its ugly head, we may be starting at a lower state in our morale if we think, oh, I thought this was over and done with. I've been forgiven of it. But that I just don't think is the case. Um, I think that there's a reason why they stick around and uh, we're reminded of them. So anyway, moving on. Verse 18, but you, just keep yourselves from the things under the ban. Otherwise, you would make yourselves accursed by taking of the things under the ban. And so you would make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. Verse 19, all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are holy to Adonai, and must go into the treasury of Adonai. So there are three possible reasons why Joshua declares all the booty holy. Because this was not something that uh, that Adonai uh, stated; uh, it wasn't part of his instruction. This was Joshua, and and here are the, here are at least three other reasons. Because it was acquired on the Sabbath. So this we you know this was on the Sabbath. It was acquired on the Sabbath. So that may be uh, why it was considered holy. Two. Uh, because it was the first of the spoils of conquest in the land. Um, uh, That's number two. And number three, Jericho is a city of idol worship, and idol worship is something that no one should be permitted to benefit from. So all of these together, or one of them, or any of them, would be reason enough, I think, that the spoils of this battle in particular would be considered holy. Uh, Not to mention the fact that this was God's battle to win. So it belongs to him. The spoils belong to him. Uh, Okay. Moving on, uh, verse 20. So when the shofar blew, the people shouted. When the people heard the sound of the shofar, the people shouted a loud shout. And the wall fell down flat, again, sunk into place. So the people went up into the city, everyone straight ahead, and they captured the city. I mentioned the shofar, and, and of course it's you know it's throughout this passage, but the shofar, we need to remember, represents a few things. Among them, it's associated with the akedah, uh, the binding of Isaac, and the ram that was provided. The ram, of course, had its horn stuck in the thicket. It's associated with the transmission of the Torah to Israel in Exodus 19. Verse 19 states, and then the voice of the shofar sounded louder and louder. Shofar is associated with repentance and a waking up during the high holy days. And it's also associated with the announcing of the coming of the king and his kingdom. All very important things to remember. Again, this was not the, the silver trumpets uh, that were used for blasting a warning during war. This is this was a different instrument altogether, um, meaning that, again, this was not a... a physical battle we could win on our own, but this is something that God is doing. Verse 21. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, man and woman, young and old, ox, sheep, and donkey, with the edge of the sword. Um, Not exactly. Rahab and her family and possession, or not possession, but Rahab and her family were spared. So the good part of the city, what small amount remained, or present, that was that came out, that was rescued and redeemed. So it wasn't it wasn't really totally destroyed. It was what was left. I would I would argue. I can argue that, can I, David? Okay, sure. Thank you. Uh, verse twenty two. Then Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, "Go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her." Verse 23, so the young spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her relatives, and all who belonged to her. All her relatives they brought out and put them outside the camp of Israel. Verse 24, then they burned the city with fire and all that was in it. Only the silver, the gold, and the vessels of bronze and iron did they put into the treasury of the house of Adonai. Verse 25, But Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua spared she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day because she hid the scouts whom Joshua sent out to spy Jericho again remember this is a Jericho is a city of idolatry it is a city full of uh, depravity uh, and yet there is one in its midst who is good and and she is spared as, uh, as well as her household this is this is an important picture verse 26 at that time Joshua made an oath saying, Cursed before Adonai is the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. On his firstborn, he will lay its foundation, and on his youngest son, he will set up its gates. Here we see again um, a a picture of this, of the consequences of sin being passed down um, for for rebuilding where Jericho uh, came down. And then verse 27, the last verse. So Adonai was with Joshua, and his fame was throughout the region. So evil was Jericho that not even the ground it stood on uh, was exempt from the ban. Its total destruction, save for the righteous bits, the the Rahab and, and her family, was to set a standard and precedent for all future battles against evil, against things that are against God. And we follow his lead and he will deliver. So, the battle of Jericho set a standard. The keys to Jericho's success in the conquest of the land was humble obedience to God's instruction, faith that God will do what he says he will do, constant self-examination and repentance, the shofar constantly blowing, and walking with him in covenant, the ark going with the people in their midst. The keys to our success in conquering strongholds is the same. Humble obedience to God's instruction, faith that God will do what he says he will do, constant self-examination and repentance, and walking with him in covenant. Jericho represents sin. You could even say it represents secret sin, given that it was so fortified against God and his people and hard to see into. How God defeated Jericho for Israel is how we are to ally ally with him in defeating sin and receiving victory. We cut it off from any lifeline. We encircle it with strength, truth, repentance, and the anticipation of victory. We do this day after day. God will then deliver it into our hands. And at the same time, he delivers us from the threat of it. It will be reduced to nothing, save for the speck of goodness that was left within it. That we will absorb into ourselves and be increased by that speck. And then we never touch it again. The spoils are holy. They belong to God. And we never go back to that place where sin died. We don't build anything on top of it. We don't touch it. We stay away. Tradition states that on the morning of the seventh day of this conquest of Jericho, Joshua composed the Elenu prayer. So I'd like to pray that with you now in closing. So if you have your siddur handy or have the Elenu printed off, go ahead and grab that and let's... Pray along. We are duty-bound to praise the Master of all, to ascribe greatness to the One who created from the beginning, that He did not make us as the nations of the land and did not place us as the families of the earth, since He did not assign our portion as theirs, nor our lot like all of the masses. For they bow to vanity and nothingness and pray to a God who cannot save. We therefore bow and worship and give thanks before the king, the king of kings, the holy one, blessed is he. On that day, Adonai will be one and his name one. Bless you all and may the one who conquers every stronghold Make us into the people he wants us to be. Shalom.